This episode of the Voice of Procurement podcast, we travel to Kurdistan to speak with Will Holden, Managing Director of the Emergency Logistics Team. Will specializes in the training of supply chain and procurement personnel who wish to apply their skills in the humanitarian context. Our discussion explains the nature of humanitarian procurement, its unique context, and the steps that you can take to get involved. I've delivered the introductory certificate in procurement and logistics, humanitarian context, endorsed by Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport International, um, throughout Iraq, Kurdistan, and Amman, Jordan. This week, 10 years ago, it was the Haiti earthquake. Um, and that's what started me off. I was working in Cork, actually. I was working for Agility Logistics as the Irish logistics manager based in Cartoon. So while I was with Agility in Cork, for example, I was the Irish CSR manager, corporate social responsibility manager, amongst many other roles. Um, and that really got me involved in sort of volunteering in Ireland, uh, doing ISPCC fundraisers, book of collections, all basic stuff. But it sort of dipped my toe into the water, really, and then it transferred or sort of uh, built up into working and going, not working, but going out as a volunteer to Haiti. Um, and at the same time, then a couple of different opportunities came up, which I took. So one was going to Afghanistan in 2012, but that wasn't a humanitarian project. That was with the senior logistics advisors with the Afghan Disposal Project for the UK MOD while I was working with Agility Logistics. Um, again, hugely beneficial because it got me working with the military um, and seeing how the military work and seeing all the problems they have. Um, but also it was a great experience working in a very extreme environment in Helmand Province and Kandahar in 2012-2013. Um, and it was really from there that we uh, that I developed the emergency logistics team idea. And is it essentially the, the what emergency logistics does is is it would you call it capacity building? Would that be the wrong term to use? Not at all, actually. You just hit on it there. Um, training development, project management, and organisational capacity development, for sure. I transitioned over a long period of time, so I had a job, a very well paid job, very senior management job. Um, and I just felt myself getting uh, pulled um, towards the humanitarian sector um, over various different projects. I could see there was many gaps, um, huge gaps, uh, in relation to the capability and capacity of the staff to work in these facilities. No fault of theirs. They've never, they were never trained. I should have said, at that time, they were never trained. And what type of characters have you seen um, at... Uh, sites that are distressed or countries that are distressed? I mean, would you see procurement executives, uh, what type of experience would they typically have in terms of procurement mm. purchasing? If we use Iraq as an example, um, there is very few people actually formally trained in procurement. So the only people who've received any procurement training has been the online courses that's been available, some of which are quite good for sure. I've been focusing on this whole area for the last few years. And that's why when I uh, had an opportunity to come here, uh, to come to Iraq and Kurdistan um, in 2017, end of 2017, um, I made a decision to register the emergency logistics team in Kurdistan um, on the basis that we want to develop this whole procurement and supply chain logistics sector. 
And in terms of maybe the course itself, what what principles are essential for people to understand? Um, I suppose some of the basic principles, you know, in relation to fairness, integrity, um, you know, good procurement practices. Um, we we try and keep the course as simple as possible because of the nature of the lack of training. So it's an introductory course, so bear that in mind. Um, so what we've done is over the last, um, we talk about, you know, I've tried to talk about business ethics. Uh, for example, um, if not fraud, but at least pure bad practice is a huge problem. So when people don't understand, you know, the, the basics of um, logistics and procurement, looking for the right quality, best value for money, source, quantities, place, time, um, and also understanding the need, what we have here, which is quite unique, is donor regulations, which is the sort of key variable in relation to uh, procurement in the humanitarian context compared to commercial. Um, so each donor, for example, you might have the European Union, you might have the USAID, uh, and multiples behind that as well, each uh, Irish aid, for example. Um, they will all have their own procurement rules. Um, and depending on where your funding comes from, you have to follow those rules. So it can be quite complex. For people who've never been trained formally in procurement, it's very complex. Trying to keep on top of the different donors, because you could be working on procurement projects for three, four, five different donors, all at the same time, all have slightly different procurement rules. And that's where it can get a bit complicated. So even if we park the possible fraud element, it's just complicated in a normal daily working environment. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm having images of, of, of listeners thinking, is this similar to public procurement then? <laughs> the, well, the, actually, yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's an element of, um, yeah, well, again, we're not talking directly with public procurement, but um, it's the principles apply for sure. Um, so the key areas we focus on during our training is the identification and submission of the requirement or the need, the bidding process itself, the contract award, and the contract administration. Um, so these are key elements for any procurement process. So yeah, it's not like commercial, uh, but definitely would be varying towards uh, public or government procurement. And, and just talk to me a bit about if you are in a, a position like you're in Iraq and who, who identifies the needs and how is that passed through to procurement and how do procurement then try to fulfill the needs? I mean, is it mm. through a, a local network or is it directly through the donors so they have the, the organizations are usually split into two elements the the programmatic side as they call them or the operational or support function side so procurement logistics supply chain finance hr administration uh, security would all sit on the support side the programmatic side is the actual um humanitarians who are experts in their field and that could be health could be food um, it could be wash, which is water and sanitation, could be shelter, which is construction. So it's up to those teams to develop the programs. Uh, and during the development of the programs, they will be developing at the same time. Uh, they're identifying the need, um, and then they have to go through a specific submission of that requirement, depending on the organization you work with. Okay, so some organizations have very recently moved into ERP systems, which have pluses and minuses 
fantastic working in a commercial environment in the West, uh, in Europe or America or Singapore for that matter, or Australia. Um, highly complex, a little bit more complicated working in a humanitarian environment. Work where you say the programmatic side, I suppose I'm thinking um, the people closest to the disaster would be on that side. And do the programmatic guys sit with the support guys and actually discuss or is it very much email driven, system driven, or is there kind of a, a co-located aspect where people are actually sitting as a team trying to figure out what exactly needs to be done, when it needs to be done? Still a huge element of this where the, the program and the support side near the twain shall meet. Ah. Okay. And it's a huge problem. Now, as I said, in fairness, um, there's been much improvement and much progress on that for sure. Um, but that's an ongoing battle to get the two sides working together. So, for example, when I'm uh, advising the program, um, I advise them that the first time they get involved with the support side is when they have an idea in their head. But the quicker they get it, the support function involved, the procurement or the logistics or the security for that matter, because that's a huge element of our planning here in Iraq, for example, or in Yemen, where I've been as well. The quicker you get these people involved, the better your program will be developed. So if you were if you were to paint a picture, I suppose, of the perfect procurement person on a humanitarian project, what, what have you seen? Um, that's a good question. The perfect procurement person. Um, if we're looking at a humanitarian um, context, a perfect procurement person would have to really understand the nature of the humanitarian response that they're dealing with. They have to balance the response and the needs with what they can actually do uh, following the rules, but they have specific rules depending on their organization. And that's where the perfect procurement person comes in, that they can actually balance the two and then communicate the challenges that they face on both sides. And by both sides, I mean to the program and to the suppliers or the vendors. The average day uh, for that procurement person in a humanitarian context versus somebody sitting in a logistics company in the south of Ireland, like what are the main differences? Um, if you're working at a logistics company in the south of Ireland, you have a lot more leeway, you know, to, from a company point of view. Uh, depending on how much money you're spending, because you're um, you're responsible to your senior manager, whoever that may be, whether it's a country manager or regional manager. Um, and then it's up to you, and you're in that position of authority, and you're trusted to do your job well. That's why you're there. You're trained. You've probably received certificates, diplomas, or degrees, um, and you've got years of experience behind you. So, therefore, the decisions you make, your senior management will sort of uh, rest on your uh, expertise and experience and take on board your suggestion on who the contract award is amongst many other reasons okay whereas in the humanitarian sector mainly people are working in procurement to have very very little experience as i said in iraq and kurdistan syria yemen uh zero zero training um up to very recently when we got here um so you're working with those constraints huge constraints so we have to put a lot of additional checks and balances here that you would not have there in Ireland, for example, in the south coast of Ireland, in Carrick for example. Um, you would have a lot more management oversight on the process. Um, you would be ensuring that there was a huge amount of uh, segregation of duties to ensure that 
people um, are not involved at the same or at different parts of the process, which may, may, may not actually influence the decision making. Um, around the contract administration itself, um, the payment of goods, the receiving of goods, the documentation that you need in order for all this to happen. Um, you need to have various different people and different supervisors involved. So is that, as I said, it, it minimizes the opportunity for fraud, which is the key point, um, but also ensures that then you deliver on the procurement request, whatever that may be, in uh, an efficient and effective way sectors that people see the on the news back home in Ireland, for example, you will see the extreme cases. Okay, you will see helicopters dropping goods from from a height and so on. That is extremely rare. Okay, so mainly what we're doing um, when we're working in procurement in Iraq and Kurdistan, you're publishing tender documents, if that's what it is, or RFQs, you're sending out to a set number of uh, pre-qualified suppliers who worked with you previously, um, who know your industry, know your business. Um, there's a lot of normal business happens here. And this is the one thing I found out over the last eight or nine years, is that commercial work happens all the time, regardless of the war that's going on around you. So the amount of goods that are being delivered like in an extreme emergency situation is very small. Most of the goods are procured normally, go through the normal process, um, Bidding processes, the contract award happens as normal, and then, as I said, the contract administration happens. Is it generally a smooth-flowing commercial operation, but that just the context is different? That it may be the context to, is different for yeah, sure. But the process is probably <clears throat> um, the same, is it? Exactly. Okay. That's what I keep saying. So, for example, in the course I've developed, I keep saying this that it's about eighty percent of of the procurement and logistics course I've developed, which includes procurement, warehousing vehicle fleets, asset management, and distribution, about 80% of that is the same for every sector, whether that's commercial, military, government, or humanitarian, or emergency. It's the context that's always the difference. And as the context determines how simple or complex uh, you can deliver on all these goods and services. If you need to deliver goods to federal Iraq, which is outside the Kurdish region, into places like Mosul or Kirkuk or Salahadeen, then that's where you get into the security and access issues. So they have various different processes. They've got one process on the Kurdish side and you have one different process on the Iraqi side, even though it's technically the same country. And literally right now, over the last couple of weeks, whenever there is a, um, a, a geopolitical situation, for want of a better phrase, usually the border between Kurdistan and Iraq becomes very closed and it's very difficult to transport goods. So right now that has had a huge effect. The recent events have had a huge effect on the distribution of goods from Kurdistan into Mosul and Kirkuk and Salahadeen. So security, access, massive. That's a big, big differential between, say, what you're doing in Ireland or Europe. Um, and I've dealt with many emergency responses. So 2014 and 2015, I was here in Iraq. That's how I got to know the place. Um, and at that time, that's when ISIS um, attacked in full. And there was chaos. Now, that was an actual emergency. In the city I'm in today, there was about two, 300,000 people uh, arrived overnight. And that's not a metaphor. That's an actual hours. Um, there was people lying on the streets, literally. Um, 
So that was a massive food and water emergency response situation. That's very different to what we're doing today. And that's my point. So what you'll see in the news back home Mm. is the extreme end where you'll see um, escorts going in with various goods. Um, You'll see goods being distributed by helicopter and so on. But even during a normal emergency, it's really a case of a lot of local NGOs, any international NGOs who are here, the governments who actually run the country as well. Uh, It's a huge response. Everyone's involved. It's not one or the other. So what you see in the news is really a tiny, tiny fraction of what actually goes on in order to respond to an emergency. So what I'm thinking of is I'm thinking of the person who is in a procurement role who may be kind of not plateaued, but is looking for an opportunity, is not particularly getting one in the corporate sector. Maybe they're mm. a bit frustrated. Maybe they don't see where yeah, I know they what should you're be saying. doing. Like, is this an opportunity or a project for that person? Yeah, so for people, I suppose, who have uh, commercial procurement experience and expertise, um, it's definitely a choice. Um, The only thing I will say, it's not an easy choice for many reasons. Like a state, without stating the obvious, you're not going to be at home. Um, So people, if they want to even work for a short period of time in the humanitarian community and working abroad, they need to factor that in. It's not easy being away from home. Um, However, if you look at it from their commercial experience, there's huge benefits of coming from the commercial world into the humanitarian world and offering that expertise. So in order to be successful in procurement and commercial in Europe, for example, you know, you have to have a huge amount of attention to detail. You really have to be professional in what you do or you're just not going to be successful. Um, Those skills are highly transferable to the humanitarian emergency response. And how to deal with these, uh, not the conflicts, but in the processes, the basic processes of procurement, as I said, whether it's supporting the program at the very beginning, that you can help the program understand the rules that they have to follow in relation to procurement, Uh, whether it's the bidding process itself, um, which is highly complex for sure. Um, And again, if you can bring that expertise in and support the local staff, And there should be an ongoing training, you know, dissemination of experience and expertise to the locals that you're working with. Um, You know, so there's a huge benefit then for individuals from Europe or from Ireland who they can bring that expertise to the field for sure. And it is, uh, would you, would, would it be fair to call it, I suppose it's, it's not quite, um, you, you, you wouldn't call yourself an expat. It's not like someone going from, Cork to Singapore for a year to put in an ERP system and moving back. It's it's also, but it is a job. Uh, well, it's is... different from yeah. Well, it's different for me. Okay, because I'm semi permanent. I'm I, I don't like the phrase expat. I keep I keep joking with the uh, the Brits I know over here and the Americans. I said you're an economic migrant. You know, suck it up. That's what you are. Okay. Whereas an individual coming in may come in and if they're successful with applying for a job, they may come in for six to 12 months. So that's a very set period of time. And that would be more normal, to be honest. Person listening to this, maybe two years, three years experience with ERP, uh, negotiation, tendering, kind of looking Hmm. at this going, listen, I wouldn't mind 
I wouldn't mind the challenge. I know it's not going to be a walk in the park. I wouldn't mind the challenge. What are the steps that person should take, Will, in your experience, to get themselves a six-month or a yearly project mm. in humanitarian procurement? Okay, so for in order for a procurement uh, expert in Ireland, for example, who wants to work in this field, as I said before, they really need to, to do some voluntary work. You have to prove that this is the area you want to come in. That while what you're doing is technically, to all intents and purposes, a, a commercial function, um, there is a huge element of the humanitarian uh, imperative um, that we need to understand. You need to be able to work with the, the people who are the humanitarians who are here full time or who have worked in the humanitarian field for much longer than you intend to. Um, and it's a big, you know, again, it's a balance between your commercial experience and the area you may want to work in for six months or two years. Um, but as I said, there's a lot of experience. So if someone has ERP experience, as you said, or, or bidding process or contract award, uh, contract administration, all of these expertises is needed in the humanitarian world. Okay. And I guess coming back then to the commercial world, it's also beneficial to have that on your, your CV that you've worked away um, in a different context. Uh, yes, and also from the commercial point of view, if any commercial companies are listening in at any stage, um, as part of their corporate social responsibility programs, they could offer the procurement uh, staff for periods of time as volunteers um, as well. So you could even volunteer with a humanitarian organization in Ireland. You don't have to leave the country. So there's many ways uh, to make it work and to get the experience. So CSR projects, I think, are very good for commercial companies. Firstly, you know, to, to give something back to the communities, um, and that's improving. Not improving. That's imp uh, is getting bigger every year for sure. Um, and that's how I got involved with this. Literally, 2008, while in Cork, um, I got involved with Agility Logistics CSR programs, and that really started the ball rolling for me. So I would highly recommend for commercial people to to if your company is involved in CSR suggest these type of projects. If they're not involved in CSR, suggest they get involved in CSR because that's going to be an element, even on the commercial side in Europe, um, if I'm not mistaken, that your CSR portfolio is, again, becoming more and more important for um, to take part in tenders in government procurement. Absolutely. And is there any particular websites or organizations that maybe listeners could check to see if there's opportunities? Yeah, so from an Irish point of view, I think Active Link would be one of the best. Uh, internationally, Relief Web. Um, if you just Google them, you'll see they'll come up straight away. Uh, this type of role on a long term basis is really not conducive to good family life. Um, I spend a lot of time away from home. Um, I have kids, it's not good for relationships, um, and that would by far be the worst aspect. Um, however, I'm a traveller. I've always been a traveller. It's in the blood. It's in the family blood. We've got family all over the world, of which many Irish people do as well. But I'm personally a traveller, and uh, so that's one of the best uh, things for me, um, seeing different cultures. Um, in the international community, we call the Middle East, it's like a Marmite region. 
okay you either love it or you hate it if you um, there's really no in between i've never met someone said it's okay <laughs> um honestly it's, it's just been like that so personally i love it um i love the culture i love the food um the people are very funny the people are very welcoming um i have found as well while there's obvious uh conflict issues which i am never going to resolve that's not what i'm here for I also see a lot of young kids and a lot of, who want to improve their skills. And I can see there is definitely a hunger, an appetite for improving their, uh, their personal selves, but also their businesses um, and government departments as well. So that's one of the things I like about uh, where I am specifically. They can contact me at will at emergencylogisticsteam.com.